Hello, my name is Adam Kaufman, and I'm thankful you're joining us today on the Up To podcast. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a group that I'm grateful for, and that is Town Hall, Cleveland's most popular restaurant, and one that I can say is the only place my wife tells me she can eat every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Town Hall was the first all-non-GMO restaurant in the U.S. a few years ago, and they're now expanding into Columbus, Ohio soon. I'm also very selective about who we choose to partner with for this podcast, and it was with open arms that I embraced the idea of partnering with Bobby George and Town Hall. To learn more about what they're up to, you can visit townhallohiocity.com. The first thing I was thinking about was, I've made so many mistakes, and i got to do this again to fix them. Hi, I'm Adam Kaufman, and you're listening to the Up To Podcast. I've been fortunate for the past 25 years in my business pursuits to serve and collaborate and work with many of the most successful, most influential people in America. And eight years ago, we started Up To as a live event series, which showcased leaders who I thought were as humble as they are successful. For me, the humility piece is very important as we identify these leaders who can hopefully inspire others. Over the years, I've interviewed trailblazers from the fields of medicine and business, the military, nonprofits, politics, and more, really focusing our interviews on the non-business side of their lives. We talk about their business pursuits too, but we often would focus on questions about their own challenges and how they overcame them. So time and again, attendees of the Live Up To event asked me to expand the event so that more people could participate and benefit from the dialogue. And that's what led us to today in this podcast series. We're so glad you could be with us. I'm super thrilled to have here with us today one of my favorite entrepreneurs, Charu Ramanathan. Charu's on her third startup, her first of which sold to Medtronic for $90 million. She has her PhD in biomedical engineering. And today we're going to focus on vital exchange. But I really want to get inside her head and her heart a little bit because she's a dynamic leader with a really uh, keen understanding of the importance of bringing everyone on board and diversity in the marketplace and in venture capital and in building businesses. Let's find out what Charu is up to. Charu, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. And I understand this might be your first podcast interview ever? Yes. How do you feel about that? Nervous. <laughs> okay. Well, it's nothing to be nervous about, that's for sure. You've uh, received so many awards and accolades and given so many speeches. Just look at this as another version of that. I uh, loved having you in a live event recently, and one of the things we talked about, seems like every time I open up a, a newspaper article, I see an award you're getting, women in business, women entrepreneurs, leaders in the city. Do you ever think about like who you might be role modeling for as you receive all this praise, which I know you don't seek, but do you ever think about who might be watching you? Maybe who's younger than you or other entrepreneurs? All the time. Because I, you know, again, time is finite. And I always think, you know, is this the right investment of time? Because I do want to help other entrepreneurs, particularly women and and young women to take that step. Because in general, our society and school systems raise women to be more risk averse and more perfect in what they're doing. And therefore, entrepreneurship is not something that you would get if you interview 10 girls from school. You wouldn't, they, nine out of 10 would probably say that they would not 
choose entrepreneurship as a career option. So I don't, I really don't know who the audience for these women's forums are, but I do think talking to my male counterparts and male collaborators, when they see a women's countdown, they tend not to pay attention. Hmm. So because, again, I would like to be shortlisted in a top tech forum versus a women's top tech forum. Yes. Because as far as success in business or any arena is concerned, it's a level playing field. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what gender mm-hmm. you are. So ultimately, I hope it inspires other women leaders, but ultimately it, there has to be one you category. Know, category and one set of rankings, and we need to see more women there. Absolutely, and I know that um, I've learned from you some of what you're talking about right now. There are a lot of us who are well-intentioned men that might say, we need a women in business panel at a conference. And I've received pushback more than once from folks saying, no, I don't want to be on a women in business panel. I want to just be on the leaders in business panel. Do you ever challenge the host or the award grantor with those types of categories? All the time. All the time. I think if I'm represented on a, on a panel, mm-hmm. I can bring a woman's perspective mm-hmm. to the world, which is 50% women. So that's kind of where I see it to be much more powerful than, you know, having only a women's panel in a general conference. Now, there's another set of audience, like there are women entrepreneurship conferences where women who are less likely to take that step feel more secure in a group of other women. And I think the goals and mandates of those groups are actually much more well-intentioned. Let's back up a little bit. You came to America from India. You went to medical school, maybe to become a researcher, maybe to become some form of physician or physician researcher. When did you, while getting your PhD in biomedical engineering, when did you decide maybe the route is a business route for me? When do you think you had that first entrepreneurial bug? So I was about two years from graduating with my PhD, and the technology that I worked on, which is what my company Cardio Insight was based on, really had potential in helping patients. And I started to look into how a technology could be translated out of the university. And I also did some projects for a company locally called Athersis, uh, which is a stem cell biopharmaceutical company. And I was really good friends with the, the CEO, Gil Van Bakkelen. And he had moved here from Stanford, from the Bay Area, to start a company. And the magic of entrepreneurship and what he stood for and and how things were translating from research to patients, to medical practice, sorry, to industry, was very, very interesting to me. And that was an avenue I I hadn't thought about before. So I didn't know that about you. That's interesting. So the exposure to business through an entrepreneur, in this case, Gil, maybe um, lit something that was either already inside you or exposed you to something that you hadn't thought about before. And what I'm getting at is, do you think entrepreneurship can be taught or are we born entrepreneurs? That's a great question. I think if you look at the literature on it, as a scientist, I always look at the literature. It's pretty I don't look at the literature. (laughs) I'm not smart enough. Uh, So um, from my perceptions, I do think that the school systems, and I'm going to say something very controversial here. Hold hold your seats, everyone. (laughs) Beat 
the risky nature, the survival instincts of human beings out of us. Mm. They basically say, when you get out of school, you need to go to this college, you need to have a resume, you need to find a job. Well, a job is a way of making a living. Mm -hmm. It's not what your life stands for. And if you really focus on character, focusing on developing your strengths, addressing your weaknesses as a child, so you can survive as a human being, you know, entrepreneurial risk-taking, entrepreneurial orientation. become it, it is a natural part of a lot of us that due to pragmatic approaches kind of get stifled. Do you think this stifling is an America problem or did you also see that in India? Do you think there's more tolerance for risk elsewhere or is this a global dilemma that we need to kind of change in the schools? I think that it's definitely, from my experience, definitely worse in, in a country like India where I grew up because there is it's highly populated, so it's very competitive. So from that perspective, a formula that says if you do this, this, and this, you'll get a job and then you'll be successful. That's something that's much more followed. But I do see in the last 20 years that trend being followed in the United, uh, United States. So when we say we need more STEM-focused, you know, we need need, you know, um, we need to go uh, scholarships and we need to, because the price of education is so much higher in the United States. Right. And, you know, most of the school systems here are trying to emulate that culture that comes um, from the East. And I, I don't think that's conducive to entrepreneurship. I think U.S. is the land of opportunity. That's why I came here. And I do see a change in landscape. Staying on this education entrepreneurship subject for a minute. I know you have a son who is at university and you were telling me that you were recently emphasizing the importance of excellence to him and just being excellent at something. Is that something that you got from your parents or is this kind of shaping something your parents did or didn't teach you and then creating your own kind of legacy ethos for the next generation in your family? Definitely. My, my father was a big proponent of two things. One is excellence and the other one is originality. And he's unique in that regard. Is When, we, when I was going through schools, he, school, he would always say, like, don't just follow something because a teacher told you or the test demands it. You know, when you're doing a project, don't look at the project that's going to secure the most marks scores. Do something that you can sign your name and say, well, I did this. Mm -hmm. So uh, in order to have an original idea survive, you need to have excellence. So that was something that was very much emphasized by my family. And, you know, I've tried to promote that in my kids. But oftentimes, the schools really don't have much space for that kind of stuff. Back to your other point about suppressing yes. risk-taking and trying to just get the marks, the good grades, that leads to curriculum towards the test results, which mm -hmm. I know is not something a lot of us parents are excited about. So do you think he's uh, welcoming this focus on excellence, your son? He definitely is welcoming, and that's kind of the North Star for him. Obviously, as a teenager, working through how to balance his big social life and, you know, the stuff that teenage boys do with his own strengths, um, which is creativity and vision, with work ethic, which is his weakness. So he's trying to, to mm -hmm. figure it out. And, you know, we are here to support him. Common challenges as we watch our, our kids get older. Uh, let's uh, return to you. you. You sold Cardio Insight. Was there ever a point when you thought, I'm done starting companies, it's too much work, there is a lot of resilience required, and even some headstrong 
stick when building a business. You're now on your third company, Vital Exchange. But did you ever contemplate maybe just becoming a professor or getting back into research? Or do you think your wiring is such that you always need to be building companies? The first thing I was thinking about was, I've made so many mistakes and I got to do this again to fix them. With respect to the tenacity required or the work ethic, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. Of course, the highs are very high and the lows are pretty darn scary, but I think this is what I'd rather be doing. I do spend probably about 10% of my time on activities like we did at Up To. I also am speaking at the local area schools. I enjoy that because I think that's kind of my start towards contributing towards society and the next generation. Awesome. I can bring in perspectives not only as a business person or a, or a researcher or, or a technical person, but also as a parent. As a mom, I was about to say, mm-hmm. right? So I enjoy doing that. Um, I think more than women in tech type of business sessions, you know, start them early, start start them young. Like today I got an email right out of the blue from Hathaway Brown School, which is one of the local girls' school. The girl has a very good idea for, I can't tell you what the idea is, for um, simplifying something that doctors have used, pediatricians have used for testing a very common bacterial disease. And she said, hey, I don't know how to go about this. I was really inspired by your talk. Mm. Can we meet for coffee so I can discuss how to take this forward. She's 16 years old. That's spectacular. This is, I think my second question was, do you ever think about who you're role modeling for? And it's folks like this young lady, this student who reaches out to you. I mean, I wasn't reaching out to accomplished adults when I was 16 years old. That's pretty impressive. Right. And I think this is how we use media and this is how we use, you know, our ability, you know, with all the technology we have for connections. And that's what it's all about. You said something a minute ago, how entrepreneurship can be scary, building a business can be scary. What, what's an example of something that was scary in the past uh, on the professional side? And, and how did you deal with not even solving the technical problem, but how did you deal with the emotion of being scared? So I'm a very analytical person. So I try to approach structure the problem. So once I get very overwhelmed and in a situation where I'm emotionally overwhelmed and I'm now kind of transmitting that to the world around me, I kind of go in a hole and kind of try to break the problem down. I also am this time around trying to surround myself with a lot of advisors. Mm -hmm. Adam, you're one of them. um, To really help think through and break down areas where I could be deficient in and seeing, you know, that I've hit a wall and they could be, I probably need another perspective, another idea to resolve it. So I think that there are tons of brains in the world and it's very important to not to embrace that loneliness you feel as a leader and say, I got to solve all these problems because the world is looking up to me and saying, well, if I ask for help, they're going to respect me more. That really is true, isn't it? It's lonely at the top is a phrase because it's accurate. And I've noticed as I interact with people, the higher the top, the lonelier it, it can be. So I really commend you for articulating the way you have the importance of surrounding yourself with others who maybe fill gaps where you might think in your own skill set is a bit lacking. I know that too many leaders don't do that. This is frankly why I wanted to interview you today is because you are a different type of leader. Thank you so much, Adam. Hello, Up To listeners. Right now, I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about Calfee, Halter, and Griswold 
a full-service corporate law firm with attorneys throughout Ohio and in Washington, D.C. I'd also like to emphasize how selective we are about organizations with whom we choose to partner for the Up To podcast, and it's with much enthusiasm that we do partner with this law firm that is close to 120 years old. Calfee's mission has been to provide meaningful legal and business counsel to entrepreneurs and investors, private business owners and nonprofits, public corporations. I've referred many successful entrepreneurs and investors to Calfee knowing how well they'd be taken care of. And it's for those reasons that I would encourage you to visit their website, calfee.com. That's C-A-L-F-E-E.com. Thank you very much to Calfee. Let's talk about Vital Exchange. This is your, your third startup now. It's a bit of a connectivity company, isn't it? It is. It's all about connectivity. So when I did Cardio Insight, I had a big vision of having a global technology that had global reach, would help billions worldwide for cardiovascular disease. And that didn't happen. So I started next time around when, when I was really thinking, okay, what do I do next? I was really thinking about, you know, having a technology that would have global access and that would appeal to all kinds of people. And as I was looking into it, one of the key things that people had was data. And they had internet access. In fact, mobile phone and data penetration, even in the corners of the world, is very, very high. And people have access to data. So how can we use this to improve healthcare was the question that I was trying to answer. When you say corners of the world, I have to interrupt because I'm reminded of the first time you ever yelled at me. Do you remember when this was? I was we were in Western Europe actually, and I was actually trying to boast of a company that you started that was doing business in Madagascar, I believe. And I was telling this group of other Americans that Charu does business in third world countries. And you said, stop calling them third world, right? Yep. So explain to us honestly, like what should we call these awesome countries, some of which I've been to, but they're not third world. What are they? The connotation third world is seen as is diminutive. It's seen as because the first world, which is the Western world, has defined the third world, right? There's a ranking implicit there. I'm not going to go into the origins of right. that phrase. But, you know, these are economies that have had civilizations, that have, ha- that have immense natural resources. Yeah, we've had a head start. Right. And um, I asked this not to be flippant, but I really want it to be yeah, helpful to others. So, you know, but then they are dealing with, you know, they are dealing with building their GDP. They're dealing with building their economies, dealing with their issues. So, um, but they're all emerging economies. Emerging economies. So emerging I don't want you to economies. yell at me anymore. So that's the best way to say <laughs> emerging? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I interrupted you back to, you said other corners of the world, data collection. Right. Yes. Ahead. So that's how Vital Exchange was formed. So we have LinkedIn for professional networking. We have Facebook for social connectivity. We have Pinterest to exchange, you know, our interests and ideas. Uh, we have Decorating. Instagram to share images. We even have Snapchat to exchange snaps of things that are transient in Mm -hmm. nature in the moment. Uh, We don't have much for healthcare. We have online communities and we have other companies that are focused on, you know, telehealth or disseminating medical care through internet and technologies. What, What 
I want to focus on in Vital Exchange is improve health literacy by connecting patients with other patients that have had similar experiences as them, so they get relevant advice, uh, immediate actionable advice, as well as, you know, having a rich content platform that provides medical information at a very conversational pace. Like patients don't need more technical jargon thrown at them, and they can't rely on an eight-minute appointment with the doctor because of the pressures of the healthcare system to be the only source of medical information. So when they walk in to make a medical decision or make the decision to get a screening, a mammogram, they really need to be equipped with the pros and cons of what the decisions that they're making, what are the right choices for them. And and Vital Exchange will be a platform that provides them the information they need the connections they need to help the to help support them through the, the their medical journeys and then ultimately will have partnerships and integrations of various products and services that would help them take that next step the action I think, I think that's a spectacular idea that could be so useful i know in my own health scare in my life i wanted to know not just the medical side of having a blood clot but i wanted to talk to other 40 year olds about how soon can i start running if ever again not from a doctor who's never had one. Through Vital Exchange, can you create ways for us to find each other pretty quickly and share on these things? Yes. So that's really the core. The heart of Vital Exchange is machine learning and artificial intelligence-based matching technology that matches a person to other peers, to other content, to other services and programs that they can take action. And this should be fairly simply architected so that a person that's in rural America or in the corner of the world like we talked about should be able to access it with very minimal data and technology. Mm, I love that. So speaking of these corners of the world again, I know you travel a fair amount. I know you have investors in Europe and you go home to India often. Are there parts of the world that you haven't been to yet that are piquing your curiosity either for professional opportunity or for personal interest? I think I definitely want to go to Africa. I have not been to Africa, actually, uh, although we are serving two countries in Africa. It's a large continent. It's really upcoming for, a, I mean, mobile phone-based services, particularly financial services, very much growing up, agricultural, IoT, and blockchain, big in Africa. It is the land of maximal natural resources. Africa is a continent that's coming out of post-war punishments and taxes that the Western world has imposed on it. It's an area of growth, great talent, and um, great health needs. What countries are you doing business in in Africa? Mali and Madagascar. How do you find time to do all this? Are you passionate about time management, or is it like putting out fires every day? Different leaders have different styles, so I'm, I'm really interested in how busy, successful people organize their lives. How do you do with it? Is it a struggle, or is that something you have a good knack I, I for? Think That's a great question because I love answering that question. Well, good. Go ahead. (laughs) So I think time is something that experience lets you conquer better and better if you learn from experience. So 10 years ago, I was a poor conqueror of time because I worked all the time. And that was also a kind of cultural thing as well. Like you said, the landscape has, has changed. Today, just earlier in the podcast, you appreciated me for my authenticity and really a vulnerability and exposing my weaknesses and my side. Humility. 
humility. Um, that is not something that I would have embraced 10 years ago. Because as I got into the field as a an Indian origin scientist woman, you know, I say brown woman. Uh, there are certain stereotypes associated yes, with that demographic. Yes. So th- that was, so the, what I was told very early in the game is to, you know, be like an alpha, be strong. You know, you got to compete with all the white males out there. That was kind of the brand of leadership that I was taught. So from that perspective, a lot of, and I'm just quoting what I was told, is say, you know, if you show a woman your reproductive age, how long are you going to do this, you know, type of thing. So you really didn't show your, your, your that your, side. Yeah. Um, so you basically said, exactly, nobody's going to discount the number of hours I work in a day. So I'm going to work, I'm going to send replies at 3 a.m. to show that I'm working. And I think that really... I, it resulted in a lot of burnout. It resulted in in missing some of the more important events in my life. For example, I've, I've gotten all my kids' birthdays except my son's 12th birthday. And, you know, I, I, I said I'd make it up to you and stuff. And then I went on a trip. And, yeah, he doesn't remember it, but it's something I felt like that was not necessary and I had prioritized on the wrong stuff. Now I really, really am much more strategic about time management. And I do think that somebody in my role really needs to take a step back every once in a while, take stock of the situation versus just check off tasks on a list. Because the landscape changes, the market changes, your variables change. And it's my job to step up on the tower and look down and see are we still fighting the same battles? And if I don't take that time, I'm still gonna be I'm gonna be hitting these, you know, like Pac-Man, hitting these barriers and kind of trying to chew through them. And and the casualty is time and strategic thinking. You are more than a generation younger than a lot of the older retired executives I've gotten close with over the years. And I'm not exaggerating when I say 75, 80, 85-year-old, mostly men, reflecting backwards. And I often ask them, what regrets do you have or what lessons might they have for me? And the most common answer is about family. But you've learned that at a young age. I want other leaders to hear this now. Absolutely. I mean, one anecdote that I heard, which was very influential for me, like maybe a year and a half ago, was the story of Charles Darwin, who had written, who was one of the most prolific writers. He had written, I think, 13 bodies of handwritten works. And he only worked four hours a day, four isolated, focused hours. And he had breakfast with his family. He took walks every day. He had dinners with his family. But at the same time, he put in, he was a prolific writer, inventor, researcher, right? So I think it's doable. It, it requires a different kind of organization and discipline and he playing to your he strengths. He wasn't wasting time on uh, Facebook or Netflix, two things I admit I love, but I guess he was much more focused. Like, there's this movement towards deep learning, deep thinking right now, and it, he probably did that before we even knew what that was called, just to be extremely focused for four hours a day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's al- always these distractions these days. Do you ever allow yourself to get distracted? Let's talk about that. What do you like to do when you're not working? Do you like to work out? Do you like to cook? What are your What are your joys beyond uh, building awesome businesses? <laughs> I like to watch movies okay. um, a lot. Uh, that's kind of my favorite pastime. I work out every day. What are you doing for working out? 
So I have a Peloton bike. So I spin literally every day and then do some days I do yoga. So they have a ton of programming. The Peloton has a community too, right? Where yes. I, I know maybe some of that falls into the vital exchange business idea as well. Yes. Peer to peer accountability and sharing. Absolutely. So what the community is to have accountability for working out, exercising every day, being healthy. I'm really surprised at how much that one common point of affinity, which is having a spin bike of the same brand, actually a lot, you know, makes people pour their hearts out. People talking about their depression and how they're dealing with it, a medical test that they're apprehensive about. I'm really surprised. So I feel like as a modern society and with nuclear families and people relocating all over the world, we've lost, like kind of lost that touch, which is now coming back through social media. So I know a lot it's of still people... still a bit of loneliness, though. It's ironic that there's a lot of loneliness. Either we're talking about it more or there is more loneliness I think it's real, and I don't think Facebook or other social media are a replacement for relationships and connectivity. Vital exchange will help on the health side, but I, I hope we're not uh, – tell me what you think. I, ho- I hope we're not in a downward loneliness spiral in our efforts to be more global and busier and more successful. I can – at least with, with what I've seen in the Peloton Forum and what we're doing with Vital Exchange, uh, I've really looked at – how the ability to connect virtually using technology can really bring back that connectivity between people. You know, I I think that social media and the internet can allow people, actually total strangers, to have trusted relationships, as odd as that sounds. That's a positive for this digital age that we're in. Yeah. Charu, as we unfortunately wrap up today, these these uh, time slots go so fast when we have uh, sharp and compelling entrepreneurs like you with us. Anything you want to share that you haven't already, what do you want to say to your listeners? One important thing that I want to say is be true to yourself. You're the best at being yourself. And, uh, you know, I went through that journey, lots of coaching and try to be different things. And ultimately, I thrive at my own, in my own skin, if you will. That's one point. Um, so and, don't try to be somebody you're not. Is that part of what you're saying? Uh, absolutely. And I think nature gives us certain strengths and you play to those. And entrepreneurship and how you approach the problem solving is totally depends on how you think as a human being. And the second aspect of it is... Like, don't be afraid. People say that life is too short. I think it's pretty darn long. (laughs) I mean, our life expectancy is almost pushing 80 years. And in fact, the largest growing group, I think, is 90 to 100. So life is very long. And there's plenty of opportunities to make mistakes and fix them. I mean, getting analysis paralysis and not doing things is worse than really saying, I'm going to roll along and and, and learn. and, And then when I turn back at 93 and look back, I would have had a very rich and fun and wonderful life. I think that's important. You're barely halfway at that point of 93 and look how much you've already accomplished. That is great encouragement for our listeners. So thank you for that. Uh, Yeah, this has been a great experience. And I think um, I'm going to add podcasts to my list of accomplishments. Absolutely. (laughs) And and if uh, we could be so lucky, we'll maybe even invite you back if you would honor us sometime in the future. Okay. Well, I'll cook up some more experiences to share by then. Start two or three more companies and then we'll have you back. (laughs) I think I have my hands full. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. 
Reflecting on today's meaningful conversation with Charu, there's so much to try to take away. Here are five key points which might be beneficial to all of us. Number one, pursue originality. For our originality to stick, excellence must also be pursued. Number two, it's very important to not embrace, to not fall victim to the likely loneliness that inevitably sets in for leaders. Number three, it's important to periodically take a step back, a more broad look at what you're doing, being more strategic rather than just putting out fires every day. Number four, thrive in your own skin. Be true to who you are. Play to your strengths. And number five, don't be afraid to make mistakes. There's plenty of time to correct missteps. Reminds me of Gene Case's new book, Be Fearless, a terrific read. I'm Adam Kaufman. I'd like to thank you for joining us on this Up To podcast. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and I encourage you to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us at uptofoundation.org. A special thank you to the law firm of Calfee, Halter, and Griswold for their role in making this podcast possible. Visit them at calfee.com. And to our friends at Town Hall, you can learn more about their restaurants by visiting townhallohiocity.com. Up To is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to our producers, Bridget Coyne and Sarah Wilgrew, our account manager, Connor Standish, and audio engineers, Eric Coltnow and Dave Douglas. I'm your host, Adam Kaufman. Thank you for listening to the Up To Podcast.